Well, good morning, guys. You uh, you actually look pretty good for six o'clock, uh, six a.m. If you didn't get some coffee, there's some in the uh, the other room, and um, we're kicking off a brand new semester with uh, with Grace and and Granite, and so. Um, I'll pray and we'll get started in, in just a minute. We typically start with, uh, with a little video, a little clip, you know, three or four minutes that kind of sets the tone. We'll do that, uh, we'll do that today and then we're going to be diving into, uh, in, into our books and we are starting series seven, uh, this morning. Uh, the very first study. The family that, that God blesses. And that's really going to be our topic. Men um, of, of God. And um, whether, whether you have a family, whether you will have a family, whether you're part of a family, it will apply um, to you. And um, so that's, that's really what we're going to be covering now. Not just this one lesson, but the whole, uh, the whole deal between now and the end of, uh, of the semester. If you remember, we left off, for those of you who were with us, we left off um, about uh, you know, how, to do, uh, um, how, to, how to practice good hermeneutics, how to, uh, to study your Bible. And um, so we end with the Bible and we will uh, we'll begin with the Bible. If you weren't with us, if you haven't been with us before, uh, let me just say this. Um, you can dive in. Uh, the beauty of of this curriculum, which is which is really a labor of love that that that's come about over uh, probably ten to twelve years, maybe maybe longer, starting at Grace Church um, with uh, with a bunch of men there, um, in particular Dr. Jerry Rag, who's the president of Expositors, pastor in um, at Grace Emanuel Bible Church in Jupiter. Florida, and it was just men's ministry material, and then all the TS churches just began to add to that, um, and then we finally uh, we finally codified it and put it together in uh, in a three year uh, curriculum, and so um, it's it's got it runs the gamut from uh, from prayer to to studying the Bible to church history to men of God, all of those kinds of things. So uh, we have put that together in a spiral bound uh, option uh, for you. If you don't have one of these, you can pick up one of those uh, this morning. I think uh, Clay has already passed uh, some out. Does anybody need one? All right, if you need one, Pastor Brody will will get uh, get you one. Um, and uh, then there, um, the Clay can tell you what the cost of the printing is. Um, and you can, if he didn't bring that this morning, he can, uh, uh, he'll take your email and, and then we'll, uh, we'll send Guido to come and collect if you don't, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I have been looking forward to, uh, to this moment for, for quite some time. I was, I was sad whenever the first semester was over, and I've been anticipating this day. A number of you have said the same thing. You've been looking forward to Grace and Granite starting again. It is, uh, it's a, it's an awesome thing for men to gather together and hear the Word of God. Um, it's, uh, it's an awesome thing for men to do that whenever it costs you something. I mean, you could be in bed. 
And so the fact that you're here and you make the effort to be here says something uh, about your character or your desire for for character. And that is a uh, that's a praiseworthy a praiseworthy pursuit. I'm going to open a word of prayer and then we're gonna uh, we're gonna get started. If you weren't here last year. Um, you know that I do Psalm on the day, and so this morning, uh, I do this every morning. We're going to start with Psalm 27, and we'll read a little bit of it, and then we will we'll pray. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries, my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though hosts encamp against me, my heart will not fear. The war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing, one thing I have asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in the secret place of his tent he will hide me, he will lift me upon a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and as such breathe out violence. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for a book that contains not the words of men, but but your words. And I praise you for this book uh, of songs. Um, Real, honest... uh, wrestling with faith and with the flesh, but always coming back to the reality of who you are and what you've promised. And 
And you tell us to seek you, and you tell us to do that all the days of our lives. You tell us to do that in the morning and in the middle of the day and in the evening. And we've gathered this morning to seek you. And we pray, Lord, I pray that you would um, you would teach us to fear you, that you would teach us to walk in your ways, that you would bless us as we, we do that. You are not a God who sits in heaven and... Um, calls to us to climb up to you even though you would have every right to do that we would never reach you but you would have every right you're a God who condescends you come to us Um, you stoop to us you speak to us and for that we give you thanks and praise bless us this morning Father as we we kick off another semester may you teach us to be men who fear the Lord. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to start with uh, with a video, and this is Dr. Steve Lawson. If you have never listened to Steve, you will you'll be in for a treat. It will start on level ten, probably, and then go that way. But this will set the tone for for our time. They were all gathered there. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book. To bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to them. The people understood the one man in this nation who knows the word of God better than anyone else is Ezra. And 14 years earlier, Ezra had returned to the promised land from Babylonian captivity in the second return. In Ezra 7, verse 10, it says that Ezra devoted himself to the law of the Lord. He set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. And so for 14 years, Ezra has been digging, digging into the Word of God. And so now on this occasion, they call for Ezra and they cry out with one voice, Bring the book! Bring the book! And this is what is so desperately needed in churches today, a spiritual hunger in the the pew to cry out to the pastor. Bring us the Bible. Bring us the Word of God. And the people need to begin to cry out, Pastor, could we have fewer announcements? Could we have more Bible? Pastor, could you tell us less about the culture? Can you tell us more about the Bible? Pastor, could we have fewer stories about your children? Give us Bible. Uh, Pastor, would you fire the drama team? (laughs) Give us the Bible. Talk to us like an adult. Pastor, could we hear less about the building program? Could we hear less about the budget? Could we have more Bible? Pastor, could you shorten your introduction to your sermon and just get into the Bible? Your front porch is bigger than the house. 
That's funny. That was the only thing not in my notes. <laughs> I'm getting to know you. But this is what is needed. And as you go back to your churches, if we're to have a revival like what we see in Nehemiah chapter 8, it is going to be incumbent upon each and every one of you to cry out to your pastor, bring us the book. Bring us the Bible. That's where this begins. That is actually an evidence of, of salvation. Uh, the evidence of salvation, according to Peter, is that you yearn for the sincere milk of the Word. You hunger. You desire it. It is not um, your, your Sunday school teacher, your small group leader, your pastor. It's not their responsibility to create a hunger for the Word of God in you. If you are a believer, you already have that. If you do not have a hunger for the Word of God, that is a, a major problem. <laughs> um, and anything that you do uh, in church, in governing your life, in your family, is going to involve the Bible. I don't mean uh, putting um, quotes on your on your wall, although that's not bad. I don't mean um, memorizing Scripture. Obviously, that is good. I mean... You eat it, you live it, you breathe it, and you do that to the point that it becomes part of, of you. Um, God is a, is a verbal God. Um, did you ever think about that? God could have, could have created any way that He wanted to. Um, could have had the angels do it. He could have... He could have said nothing and just pointed his finger and lightning bolts came out or whatever other uh, kind of nonsensical idea that we could come up with. But God spoke. He said, let there be, and light came into the world. Uh, creation. He spoke the world into existence. God is a verbal God. When God speaks, stuff happens. Things come alive. In fact, that's the, the very picture that the Apostle Paul gives in, in Corinthian, uh, to the Corinthians. That your hearts are darkened and God speaks light into your heart and then, and then you, you, you come alive. That's why God's ordained preaching. Preach the Word. Um, and it's not about the vessel, although God pours His message through a vessel. There's no power in the vessel. There's power in, in the Word, in God's words. So to the extent that a preacher, or to the extent that you, a father or a husband, speak the words of God, then God's going to do things through His, through His, through His Word. To the extent that that, that comes into your heart, it, it plows the, the ground, it prepares the ground, it, it plants seeds, it, it waters, it causes it to, to grow. That's why 1 Corinthians 3, speaking to leaders in the church... Paul says, make sure that, that you're a, a good builder. You use the right materials, um, not wood, hay, and, and stubble, not things that perish, but, but things that will, will remain. And, and God tells us that the Word of God is eternal. It, it remains um, forever. We ended with, um, with the Bible, and we, we began with it again because... Quite frankly, that's, that's all I've got, okay? 
I don't have anything else. I don't have tricks. I don't have ponies. I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, I sound like a hick. Uh, you know, my, my voice gets tenor sometimes. I'm not that great to look at. I'm, I'm going bald. Uh, my, my health is, is failing. Um, I, I can tell you in my life all kinds of things not to do. Uh, if you followed me around every day, you would see the 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 the, the frailties and the and all the other things of of a of a man. But hopefully, hopefully, if you did that, what you would see is is someone with all of that looking to God, wanting to hear His words, because you know that that and that alone is the is the only hope that that we have. And that's all I've got for you. But I want to tell you that will transform your life. God will, God will transform you through His Word. Um, faith comes by hearing. You want more faith. Um, don't get, some, get into some mystical you know, psych fest. He, listen to the Word of God. It will create faith in your, in your heart. Um, sanctify uh, them by, by your Word. Your Word is truth, is what Jesus prayed. The Word of God will bring about salvation. The Word of God will bring about, will bring about sanctification. And so we're on series seven, shepherding families, the family that God blesses. And, and I hope you know that Satan and the culture want to destroy the family with a consuming self-absorption. What's the greatest danger to the family or to men? Or to women, or to children, today. Well, you could probably name a lot of things, and you'll hear Hollywood, or violent video games, or whatever. Drugs, alcohol, I mean, you name it, everybody's got an opinion. I think one of the greatest tools is, is self-absorption. Because all those other things kind of flow out of that. That's, that's the essence of depravity. Life revolves around you. You are God. You sit on the throne. Everybody else in your life is there for you. Your wife's there for you. Your family's there for you. God's there for, for you. When in reality, you were created for Him. And Satan is happy. The culture is happy to feed you this idea you can have it your way. You deserve a break today. You, it's you. It's you. It's all about, it's all about you. When God says over and over and over, no, it's all about it's all about Him. And as we've seen, it 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 doesn't seem to matter what the issues, uh, what's the what the issues are in the life of a believer. And the Word of God, evangelicalism—that's the the church at large—seems to be bent on dumbing it down, making it shallow, eliminating any requirement or any demand altogether. Quite frankly, gentlemen, I have no desire to get out of bed on Sunday morning and take a shower and comb my hair and and put on nice clothes to come if somebody's not going to tell me something worth listening to, right? Why not stay in bed, watch the NASCAR race or do whatever? But if somebody's going to tell me something worth listening to, somebody's going to give me the words of God, then then that's worth worth getting getting out of bed. And so the idea that that you that you you know, you, you, you lower the bar to where it just, you know, it, it's, you know, we, we, wanna, we don't want to put 
extra uh, hurdles in front of people or, or things that will, keep, that will keep people away. We want to eliminate all the requirements, remove all of the, the demands that somehow that's going to open the doors and attract people, people to Christ. Besides being really, really bad anthropology, it doesn't work that way. You, 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 it's, it's, it works actually the, the opposite. The standard in evangelicalism for what it means to lead the family is, is grossly lacking in biblical clarity and depth and power. Um, and that's not what you'll find, you'll find here. We want to shape men. We want to create men. I want to be a man that, that cries out, bring me the book. I don't want to hear anything but the book. That's it. Open uh, to Psalm 128. Because when we talk about leadership in the family, we, when we talk about leadership in the family, we, we have to get more fundamental than being a blessing to your wife. You go to Lifeway, you go to any bookstore, you're going to find all kinds of books on, on how, to, how to be a godly man, how to have a good marriage, how to do this and, and how to do that. And, and, and it, 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 that's our desire. That's a good desire. That's not a, that's not a bad desire. But you have, to get, you have to get more fundamental than ways to bless your wife. You have to get more fundamental than have a date night. Uh, you have to get more fundamental than, than making sure that you know that you you bring her flowers uh, once a month, or you know, or you you're willing to sit on the couch and watch and watch Hallmark movies. <laughs> but you know, maybe you'll do that at times to show your wife you, you you love her. But you have to get more fundamental than that if you want God's blessing. God's blessing. You have to get more fundamental than being a blessing to to your wife. We we have to talk about, and here's the key. Whether our life is blessed by God or not. And Psalm 28 indicates that there is the fulfillment, the satisfaction, and the blessedness that comes to a man's life when certain conditions are met. Are you a man that God blesses? Or are you a man without God's blessing? I'm not talking about whether you have money in the bank, whether things are going well in, in your family, you know, your kids are walking straight, um, you're enjoying your, your time with your family. Are you a man that God blesses? Or are you a man without God's blessing? And you can be one or the other. And it has nothing to do with your earthly circumstances. Nothing to do with your earthly circumstances. You can have absolutely nothing and be a man that God blesses. You can have all the money in the world and be a man that God is not blessing. So how do you know? Well, there are certain conditions that are met. Psalm 128 tells us how to be a man that God blesses. Whether our life is blessed by God or not is defined in Psalm 128. And there are two prerequisites for enjoying God's blessing 
on your life and therefore on your, your family. Listen to Psalm 128. These are the words of the Lord. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. Here's the blessing. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. And, and there's the recipe. And everything else that flows after this is the fruit. You will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall be uh, shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord, repeats verse 1. The Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children, that's grandchildren, peace be, be upon Israel. Psalm 128 gives us two prerequisites for enjoying God's blessing on your family. And the first one is, is you need to be a man. You have to be a man. You're required to be a man who fears who fears the Lord? Now, I know you've heard that probably a million times. What's the beginning of, of wisdom? Fear the Lord. You read it in, in Proverbs. You read it in a number of other places. What does that mean? Okay, if, if this is a matter of whether God's I am a man blessed by God or not, and therefore that is going to, to, to work its way out in my family... And one of the prerequisites of whether that's actually true or not is that I fear the Lord. I should. I want to know what that means, right? What does that mean to fear the Lord? What does a man look like who fears the Lord? When he gets out of bed in the morning, whether he goes to work, whenever he eats dinner, when he lives, what does that? What does that? What does that mean? Well, it it's a it's a sense of awe and and respect. I would say, to begin with. Um, when you think of fear, I kind of think of two things. I think of cowering, you know, cowering fear, and then I think of whew, reverential, you know, fear, of realizing who, of who God is. There's, there's this idea of awe. There's this idea of, of respect. Um, you watch the culture, the Bible plays out in the culture. Um, you've seen probably recently the the uh, the people throwing buckets of water on the police officers in New York City. Have you seen that? Where does that come from? Where does such a disrespect of authority come from? <laughs> well, that comes from a lack of fearing fearing God. There's not a sense of awe and and respect, and we we have lost that in you know in our culture. Listen. Put your hand over your mouth. Smack yourself if you begin to, to treat God in a flippant way. Jesus is not J.C., okay? He's not the big guy upstairs or whatever other trivial way that you can talk about the creator of the universe, the one that you can't even look upon and live, the one that would incinerate you with His absolute holiness, if it were not for Christ. I mean, you couldn't even speak in His presence. You couldn't even pray 
if it were not for Christ and Christ's blood being applied to you and His His cloak of righteousness, you being in Christ and and Christ as a perpetual uh, uh, witness, not a perpetual sacrifice, as the Catholic Church says, a perpetual witness of what He's done. He He is He's at the right hand of the Father. The marks of the slaughter are still are still on him as a testimony that it is that it is it, it's finished we are invited invited to call god abba father it's the cry of our heart that god places there we're invited to do that um, and so we don't do that flippantly you know the passage in hebrews chapter 4 that we come boldly before the throne of of grace the idea of boldness there is not strolling or strutting into God's presence. It's, it's you have confidence to approach God, the one that you would normally never think of approaching. You have, you have confidence to be able to do that because Jesus Christ has cleansed your conscience from dead works. You, you, know that you're, you know you're forgiven. You know that God will not incinerate you because He's already poured out all of His wrath on Christ. You come confidently before... What's the rest of it? You come boldly before a throne of grace. Now think about that. That juxtaposition there is a throne of grace. It's a throne. Don't ever forget. It's a throne. It's not like a, a, a piddly throne on earth. It's the throne of the universe with the sovereign sitting upon it. But from that throne, grace upon grace is dispensed. It's, it's breathtaking. It's amazing. It's not a casual relationship. Um, this may help you. R.C. Sproul um, talked about how Luther made an important distinction uh, about the, about fearing God, Luther, when he struggled with the idea of fearing fearing God, made this distinction. He distinguished between what he called servile fear and filial fear or family fear. Servile fear, Luther said, is the kind of fear that a prisoner in a torture chamber has for his tormentor, the jailer or the executioner. It's a kind of dreadful anxiety in which someone is frightened by the clear and present danger that is represented by another person. Or the kind of fear that a slave would have at the hands of a malicious master who would come with the whip and torment the slave. Servile refers to a posture of servitude toward a malevolent um, owner. Luther distinguished between that and what he called filial fear, drawing from the Latin concept of the idea of a family. This is the kind of fear that we have for God. It refers to the fear a child has for his father. In regard, Luther is thinking of a child who has tremendous respect and love for his father or mother and who dearly wants to please them. He has a fear or an anxiety of offending the one he loves. 
Not because he's afraid of torture or even punishment, but rather he's afraid of displeasing the one who is, in that child's world, the source of security and love. Fearing the Lord. A, a desire to never do anything that, that fails to please the Lord. I, I don't want to offend Him. I mean, the greatest blessing in life, gentlemen, is to know that you're pleasing to God. I mean, there's nothing. I mean, you can fill joys and temporals. And, and, and God's giving us, given us great things to, to, to enjoy. Um, the weekend, the weather over the weekend was amazing after being really hot. Um, fall is coming up. I love fall. I, I can't wait to get out in the woods and hunt and smell the leaves. And uh, Saturday night, I, I had a steak on the grill. Um, and it was really, really good. And I'm very thankful for all those kinds of things. I'm thankful for my wife, my family, um, the blessing of, of, of this church, so many different things. But there's absolutely nothing that I've ever, ever experienced, whether it was in the life of sin or after I came to Christ, that even comes close to comparing to the sense or the feeling of knowing that I've been obedient to Christ and He is pleased with my obedience. And there's nothing like that. It's the greatest feeling in the world. And fearing God means I don't ever want to do anything that would bring His fatherly displeasure, that He would, that he would be disappointed Fearing the Lord is a sense of awe and, and, and respect. Are you a man who fears God? The Bible contrasts that to be a man who fears men. Do you care more about what others think than what God thinks? Do you respect God? You say, yes, I do. I respect God. I, I, fear, I fear God. Then, then do you keep His words? Do you, do you do what he says? If, you, uh, if your son or your daughter said that they respected you, but then disregarded what you, what you said, would, would you believe them? I wouldn't. Now, obviously, the obedience that I had toward my father was not perfect. Um... But if you say you're a man who fears God, a man who respects God, but then disregards what he says in the Word, or doesn't seek to, you don't seek to know what he says in the Word, or you do know what he says in the Word, and then you do something the opposite of that, you're not a man who fears, fears God, or at least not a man who fears God enough. And therefore, you'll not have the blessing of God on your life. Um, do you have... Does he have your attention, your all? Do you, do you worship him? I mean, worshiping him is different from praising him or singing the songs or, or thinking warm fuzzies about him. Do you worship him? Do you ascribe worth to him? What is Christ worth to you? Do you live your life in such a way that shows he is valued, he is treasured, like the treasure in the field, like the pearl of, of great price. Um, 
Well, Psalm 128 gives us reasons to fear the Lord related to our family. And it's because God God created the family. I mean, this whole psalm is about the blessedness of those who fear the Lord and walk in His ways, and then and then how that flows out in your in your life, in in your family. And so we fear the Lord because, as far as the family is concerned, because God created God created the the family. I mean, we're now we're back to listening to His words. Um, you must realize that the family is not a human institution, but something designed and created, and created by, created by God. To, to realize this is to fear the Lord, especially when when you are you're you're in a in a in a culture right now that that puts pressure on you to believe to to believe the opposite or. Or state the the opposite, or to live that live that way. I mean, we've lived the majority of our existence in America, where Christianity is is normal, or it is accepted. In some places, it it was even it was it was even um, I want to say easy, but but that that was the culture that that was there, and that is becoming increasingly less the the case. You have to realize that, that the family is not a human institution but something designed by God. And and you can't do your husbanding, you can't do your fathering, you can't do your relationships your your own way. You can't. It's not going to work. And, and let me say this to you. One of the worst things that can happen is if it would work temporarily. <laughs> You know, the worst judgment that God can bring on a person, according to the Bible, is no judgment at all. You understand that, right? When God says, I let you alone, and I will give you what your heart desires, I will let your heart go after whatever it desires. That is the worst judgment in the Bible. Because left to yourself, you will pursue everything other than God, and it will absolutely destroy destroy your, your your life it's it, you look around and you see unbelievers and it looks like that that their life is wonderful they have all the bells and whistles and maybe they have a a good marriage at least it seems or good 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 children or whatever good jobs and and um, that very well may be the judgment of god not the blessing of god that's not something for you to long for you long for for fear of the Lord. And after fear of the Lord, you have a family that, that God blesses you. You must do it His way, not your, your own way. And that goes for, you know, being, adding to the Bible... Um, adding a bunch of, of, of cultural things that, that are part of, of your, your little deal, whatever it is, and that also means leaving things out. It's, it's, it's staying in the text. It's saying what God said, no more, no less. And the only hope that you have in a culture to stay the course is to hold God's perspective on the, on the family. I mean, He created it. And He knows best. 
And to believe that is to, is to fear, to realize that, that the family is not a human institution, it's something that was designed and created by God, is, is a way that you're fearing the Lord. And believing that, that your only hope is, is, to, is to stay His course is, is to fear, is to fear the Lord. So reason number one, because God created the family. Reason number two, because God gives the family. Now, what do we mean by that? Look at verse 3. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine within your house, and your children like, like olive plants around your table. Now, if you were a, a Jew, um, whenever this was written, this would sound wonderful to you. This is kind of like Song of Solomon. You know, don't read Song of Solomon and say what, what Solomon said to the Shulamite woman. Expect your, your wife or your girlfriend to, to enjoy that. Your teeth are like a flock of goats. Um, that's probably not going to resonate, huh? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that is high praise. So what does he mean here? Your wife should be like a fruitful vine. Agricultural society. You ever put out a garden in red clay in Virginia and that garden doesn't grow very well? I want to tell you, the dirt in West Virginia is way better, guys. I have no idea why. But it is. And you tend it and you work at it and you labor over it. You don't water it any less, but there's just not nutrients in the soil, and it does not grow. Well, in Israel, um, there were terraces, and there's volcanic soil, but if there wasn't any rain and other things, if it wasn't tended, then it wouldn't grow. And it's a blessing to have a fruitful vine. This is the idea. Your family will be fruitful. And your children, like olive plants... The little shoots that come off of the olives that they fall from the tree and then the, they, they, they sprout up little shoots. So the idea is the, you know, the olive tree is the, is the family and it's abundant. It's producing fruit and then that fruit is, is growing and your children are, you know, are, are like that. Um, family's a gift. Your family's a gift. You don't believe me? Ask somebody who's lost it. Um, somebody who took it for granted. And they'll tell you about how they cry out for to God for it. Look at number two. Your family is not a right. You're not a little king sitting upon your, your fatherly throne. Your servant. You stoop. You serve. You humble yourself. You lay down your life for, for your wife. You, you do what's best for your children, even if they don't want what you are doing for them. Your family is not a right. Just because you, you, you fathered or just because you, you married doesn't mean that you have, you have that right. You treasure it, your family, your wife. You you treat them with, with, great, with great, great care. That's what Ephesians says. You, you treat your wife like, like your own body. Um, 
Family in our culture is treated like a burden. And we must realize that it's a a gift from, from God. I was yesterday, I think it was, was, eating lunch in a restaurant. And there were three women that were were sitting there and I had no idea what they did or, or who they who they were. I didn't listen to their conversation, but they were meeting for some kind of business business meeting and they left and they were they were standing outside and you know they were probably you know early mid 30s probably hitting their stride in their in their career they were decked to the nines i mean you know perfect shoes perfect hair perfect makeup they they looked like they fell off of you know um once they I don't even know what a women's magazine is, thankfully. Um, and and I I walked by them going to my car, and I just thought, I don't know who they are. And there's nothing wrong with a woman working, but just the way that they carried themselves and the way that they that they were that they were acting, I thought, how how sad. Um, they're throwing their their life away. I'm making sweeping judgments about people that discernments about people that that may or may not be true. But the representation is what what communicated to me in our in our culture this idea that you delay your family, you 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 know you need to find yourself, you need to find your career, you need to to do whatever, and that somehow is going to bring you blessing in. And it's it's not. Um, my friend Richard Mast over at Liberty Council says um, one of the things that the, the the culture doesn't realize, particularly women that that buy into the you know that whole idea, is they have a shelf life. And what happens is whenever they hit about 50, they start realizing that the expiration date is coming. And they don't have a husband and they don't have a wife. And they, don't have a, they don't have children and they don't have anything else. And then they wake up one day old, ugly, and all alone. That's pretty sad, isn't it? That's what the culture is selling. Our daughters and our wives and you gentlemen are the ones that have to stand between that culture, Satan himself, his, his lies, and teach them that that's not true. How do you do that? You be a man that fears the Lord, and you model that before them. You model that they're a gift, that they're not a right to you. You model that they're not a burden. They're a blessing. You can remember, I think it was Vodie Bauckham years ago, saying that he told his daughters how pretty and how beautiful they were because he didn't want some snot-nosed punk coming along about 15 telling them that for the first time and then being enamored with it. He says, when, when that 16-year-old guy with all of his hormones racing comes along and tells my daughter how beautiful she is, I want her to say, yeah, I know, my dad's been telling me that all my whole life. <laughs> That's pretty good. Because God created the family, because God gives the family, because, because God builds the family. 
Verse 1, how blessed is everyone who, who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. When you shall eat the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be, it will be well with you. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. You can read all the books on the family that you like. But if you, you build without God's material or if God does not bless your family, it will not truly be built. It will not have the blessing and strength that, that, only, God, that only God can give. Um, and how does that happen? You, you need the blessing of God on your life. How do you get the blessing of God on your life? You fear the Lord. Um, there are many counterfeits. What are some counterfeits that you hear or that you have heard, maybe some that you've even bought into before? What are some counterfeits that the culture gives, that that Satan gives, um, about how to build the family, how how to have a good marriage? What are some counterfeits that you have heard before? Heard one last week, yeah. Um, I've heard things about the relationships would be like a 50-50, you know. Yep. Yep. Nobody's above the other person. Yep. Like almost like a business contract. It is. A man and a woman. I just heard that last week, you know. Somebody gave a friend of mine really, really bad counsel and said, you know, look, your marriage is 50-50. you got to realize that, sure. you know. Marriage is not 50-50. It's 100-100 to the Lord. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about Him. Um, what else? In a, the commercial that I've seen on TV, and I, to be honest with you, I don't even know what the commercial is for, but it makes the statement that family is however you define it. Mm. And, of course, they show you know, little clips of different groups that yep. are... Yeah. Yeah, I mean you you don't have to you know, you don't have to be a Fox News conspiracy theorist as they as they call people to see that there's an agenda, right? I mean when you when you when you see a Coke commercial that that shows a traditional family, a, a man and a woman with with a, with a baby and then there's a flash of two guys there with a Coke. You, I mean you understand that's you know, from Coke's standpoint that's to market. They believe that there's money in you know in that in that community, but there's something deeper than than coke and money going on. The lies, the cosmos, the system of thinking. That that's what worldliness is. Being warned against worldliness is not drinking, dancing, and going to movies. Although all those things could be bad, depending upon how you how you uh, apply them. That's not being worldly. Being worldly is believing the system that the world teaches you, and then putting it into practice. That's worldliness. That's 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 why we renew our minds, because our minds naturally gravitate away from God and toward what the world what the world thinks. We learn how to think right by hearing what God what God says. And there's 
There are constant voices that are telling you to think of, a, think of another way. And if you think you're going to drown out those voices and overcome your own heart, which is uh, deceptive, deceitful above all things, and you're going to do that with with coming to church once on Sunday morning and listening to a 25-minute sermonette where the porch of the introduction is way bigger than the house, you're kidding yourself. You're just not going to do that. You're, you're You're going to go off the rails. The description of the of the fear of the Lord um, the second page what does it look like? Well it gives us two here. Be careful not to offend him. Uh, turn to Ephesians I'm sorry, first Peter five five. Somebody read First Peter five five whenever you you get there. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He's talking to all of us. He starts with young men, but then he says, All of you, clothe yourself with humility. God resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. You want to fear the Lord. You want the blessing of God on you. You start with being careful not to offend him. Do you think about offending God? Many things offend God. Sin... There's a list in the Bible of what's an abomination to him. Sin offends God. Rebellion offends God. But there's one thing that stands above everything else in the Bible. It's repeated over and over. You know what that is? It's in that verse. It's pride. Pride offends God. It's not a sin in the sense that you step over the line and it's a transgression. It offends God. Whenever you're, when you're proud, pride takes credit for what only God should be glorified for, and God opposes people who are who are proud. The word that's used there in First Peter five five oppose is two Greek words coming together, anti tasomai. Tasso, arrange. Hupatasso, wives, hupatasso yourselves to your husbands. Hupo, under, arrange. Arrange yourselves under your husbands. Tasso, arrange. And, and you know what, what anti means. It's against. So the, the idea God opposes the proud, God arranges himself against the proud. That's what that word literally, literally means. To place against, to stand against, to oppose. You want God to be against you? I don't. If you want God to be against you, be a proud be a proud man. Refuse to listen to what he says. What's a proud person? Ah, I got it. I don't I, they they listen and they yeah, but I know it says that but it's a proud person. 
think you can do it on your own. Steal his glory. That's a proud person. Salvation by grace alone, sovereign grace. Is humility, realizing you can do nothing. Versus little Jack Horner salvation, right? You remember the nursery rhyme? Little Jack Horner sat in the corner, stuck in his thumb and pulled out the, his plum and said, What a good boy am I? I'm so smart, I figured out I should believe the gospel. That's nonsense. You left to yourself, you'd still be eating husks of the world. Be careful not to offend God. You must know what offends God. And what offends God is is pride. You also must know what it means to dishonor Him. Now there's a difference here. What offends Him is pride. What dishonors Him? What does it mean to dishonor somebody? You, know, you hear all the time, you turn on CNN or whoever, the, our current president has dishonored the office of the president. What does it mean to dishonor? To bring shame. Okay, to bring shame. That's exactly right. What else? What does it mean to dishonor God? Okay. But then not live like your kids. It's good. Just I think it's what it says in, in Hebrews about how much worse punishment do you think those who will be worthy who basically just ignore. Yeah. Trample they underfoot. Give, they give no value to what he has done at all. Mm. To trample underfoot the blood of yeah. of Christ. To, for such a, an amazing, gracious sacrifice to be laid out and offered to us. I mean, think of the blessing that the Creator gave us His words in a book. Think of the blessing that He gives us churches to gather together. He gives gifts to those churches, spiritual gifts, to, to teachers and, and pastors to explain the book to us, His words. Think of the the blessing of the ministry of the Holy Spirit who takes those words and and gives life to them and and faith and repentance and all of those other things in our hearts. Think of the blessing opening our our eyes and protecting us. And then to trample all of that, to, to dishonor God is to disregard all of that and live your life as if none of that, as if none of that, that matters. To discredit Him. And we do that with unbelief. We offend Him with our pride and we dishonor Him with our unbelief. Um, Be careful not to offend Him. Be eager to please and esteem Him. Be careful not to be lifted up in, in anything in pride. Man, I pray every morning. I'm not exaggerating. Every morning. God, I want to be a humble man. And I want to be holy. I want to be humble and I want to be holy and I want to be a forgiving man. I don't want to hold anything against anybody else even if they have rightly sinned against me or offended me because you you were you're a forgiving God. Protect me from myself and being overwhelmed by temptation and guard me from the evil one. I want to be humble. 
I also want to be eager to please and esteem him. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Uh, on earth. We want God's will to be done on earth. But what's the second part of that? Do you have you ever thought about that? On earth as it is in heaven? How's God's will done in heaven? Do you think the angels ponder whether they're going to do what God's will is in heaven? <laughs> Bang, it's done. I want God's will done on earth the same way it is done in heaven, without hesitation. Where is God's will reigning? Where is God's reign on the earth right now? I mean, God's sovereign. He's the king. He's over everything. He could, he could roll the whole thing up. He can do anything that He wants to do. But right now, because He's long-suffering and merciful, He's allowing a world full of little rebels to, to run around, and one day He's going to call them into account. God's appointed a day in which He will judge. And up until that point, He's putting His long-suffering mercy on, on display. But where is God's will done on earth like it is in heaven, like that verse is talking about? It's in your heart, in believers. Believers want to do the will of the Lord. We want to obey His voice. And so that's the prayer is that I would... I would have a heart to do your will that is instant and immediate obedience, just like it's done in heaven. Are you eager to do that? Are you eager to please Him, eager to esteem Him? You must know what pleases Him. If, if pride offends God and unbelief dishonors Him, what does 1 Peter 5 say, say God would be pleased with? What a... What a what attracts His grace? Humility, that's right. Have you ever thought about that? God gives grace to the humble. Humility is the only thing in the Bible that says attracts God's grace. Now think about that. Grace, free, unmerited favor from God that He chooses to bestow upon you regardless of who you are and what you are and anything in you. I mean, it's... There's, there's nothing about you that God says, oh, well, I'm going to show grace to, to that person. It's his, it's his free pleasure to give grace. But humility attracts God's grace. Yeah, Jim? Actually, in Micah, it says that's a requirement. The Bible says, um, what does the Lord require of thee? Mm. But to do justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly Amen. Amen. Mm. Amen. 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 Yeah, and the example in Luke uh, 18, God be merciful to me, mm. sinner. Moving mm. the breasts. That's yeah. the attitude. What pleases him? Humility. You have to know what honors him. What honors him? If unbelief dishonors God, what do you think honors God? Belief, faith. Being fully persuaded that what God promised, he's able to do. That was... That's the definition of faith with Abraham. Being fully persuaded regardless of what you see around you. Being fully persuaded about whether it comes now or, or later. I'm going to do it because that's what God says to do. Being fully persuaded that your family's a gift. It's not a right. Being fully persuaded that you'll be blessed if you fear the Lord. 
And you must know what brings his gaze. Turn to Isaiah 66 2. It's the last time I'll have you turn. This is about as strong and clear a passage as, as the one that Jim gave us. You must know what brings God's gaze. Now, does an unbeliever want God's gaze? No. John tells us that we, we run from God. You're thinking, I mean, why does an unbeliever want to come to church, want to be around you if you're a, if you're a, a real Christian? Because their deeds are evil. They hate the light. They want to be exposed. So an unbeliever doesn't want God's gaze. We want God's gaze. Why do we want God's How can we want God's gaze? Because our sins are forgiven, and we know what we're, we're secure in Him. But what draws God's gaze from heaven? Let me read that for me. Isaiah 66.2 For my hand made all these these things. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But to this one I will look, mm. to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Man, that is a powerful passage. You want God's attention? Be low, not high. Be tender and broken, not not hard and unneedy. Self-sufficient. Fear and honor the Bible. God's words, don't be half-hearted, double-minded. Humble, contrite, and trembling at God's words. God will not turn a man away like that, no matter what the condition is. You cry out to God in that condition, God will hear you, God will answer. Well, let's look at number two quickly. Two prerequisites for enjoying God's blessing on your family. Number one, fear the Lord. Number two, walk in His ways. What does it mean to walk in the ways of the, of the Lord? You can turn back to Psalm. 128. What does it mean to walk in his ways? How blessed is everyone who fears in the Lord of who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. There's the two prerequisites right there, hanging on the front door. Walk through the door and you'll find all the blessings that come. What does it mean to walk in his ways? To be obedient. To conform your life to what He says. It's not overly complicated. I walk in God's ways. I conform my life to His ways. Whenever I realize my, my life is, is out of the, outside of the boundaries of, of, of His ways. Um, you walk by faith, not by sight. Keep in step with the, the Spirit. Walk walk in His ways. Um, 
walk in His truth. And as I'm doing that, whenever I begin to to stagger in the in my flesh like a drunk man, then I I bring myself back. I sober up. I bring myself back to walk in in God's in God's God's ways, God's path. So you're back to the Bible. You're back to His Word. The description of that in the family is that you you teach your family the truth with the purpose of obeying it. Don't teach them facts or systems. Teach them the truth with the intention of obeying it. You obeying it. Them obeying it. You've heard the proverbial statement, do as I say, not as I do. That's not the way for God to bless your family. Do as I say, not as I, as I always do perfectly, but all I desire to do it because I don't want to displease the Lord is a good thing. Acknowledge that. I mean, your kids know. They'll figure it out. They know you're a sinner. <laughs> and whenever you sin, repent. Ask their forgiveness. Seek it. Model for them what it looks like when you fall to run back to the gospel. Um, model the security. Teach your family the truth. Answer all questions with the truth. Take them to the Bible, not your opinion. Um, if you don't know, get a concordance. Get, get something. Tell them. You know what, son? You know what? Daughter, we need to answer everything by the truth. And I'm not really sure exactly how to answer that, but I know that all of the answers are in the book. So let me do some studying on that, and then we'll come back and we'll look at it together. Teach them that this is the authority. You're not the authority. This is the authority. And then always answer their questions. One of the greatest things that you can give uh, your family is, is teaching them to think biblically that all of the answers come from God and and from the the Bible is sufficient. It's sufficient. Walk in His ways. And the result is a spiritually blessed husband, a spiritually fruitful wife, and spiritually beneficial children. Right. Yep. That's why it's important for us to teach them biblical terms okay. that expresses God's truth. That's excellent. Why don't you elaborate on that a little bit? What do you mean in particular? Well, what I'm saying is that sometimes if we want our kids to enjoy the promises of God, we have to call it what God calls it. Yep. So an example would be you don't apologize, you ask forgiveness. Right? right? That's right. We call sin, sin instead of meltdowns and yep. all the other terminology the secular world uses to vague. Right. And so they'll learn to enjoy the forgiveness of God and the grace of God when they call it what God calls it. Yeah. That's good. I can remember Rick Holland talking about one of his sons, I don't remember which one it was, was in California. And uh, when he was still in school out there and he came home from, from, from school and I don't know whether it was brought up in the class or it was in a news article or something, but his son... Uh, this somebody was 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 arrested, exposed in bestiality, and his son was like, "Dad, that's like gross. I've never heard of anything like that before." And Rick said, "Yeah, that that is really gross. But did you know that's in the Bible?" 
and he went back into the you know into the Old Testament and read the passage. He said, "There's nothing new under the sun." I mean, the Bible the Bible knows all about the sins that come out, and right here it is. Well, what did he just do? He just taught his son, who was shocked and surprised about something that he never heard. That's not new to God. Sin against God, and he's already said something about it. Oh, cool. And I'm on about you know I'm on about life. That's a it's an example of how you do uh, you know something like that. It's good. So here's some questions, guys. That for homework uh, homework this week. Next week we're going to be we're going to start on a two part series on reversing the curse in marriage. But this week. Here's what I want you to do. These questions. Every father and husband should ask. Bottom of page 84. Am I pursuing? Pursuing. Not haphazardly hoping that it comes. Am I pursuing the blessedness that comes from the hand of God alone? And I would say, do I fear the Lord? What are the prerequisites for blessedness on my leadership? Do I trust in the security and provision of Almighty God for what I'm about to do today? And am I laying it before Him as the only one who can build and guard my home? Do some diagnostics, ask some of those questions, and whatever you see, repent. Um, whatever good things that you see, give God praise and be thankful. And if you if you have questions, come to somebody. We'll help you. Let me pray. Father, I do thank you for your truth. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you for these men, Lord. Bless them today as they go out into the world. May they be a sweet aroma of Christ to other believers. May they be an aroma of death to those who are outside of Christ that they would see their need of a Savior and repent and believe. Help us, Father, to fear you and to walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.